welcome back to season four, episode four of Scare Topless, your favorite haunted podcast. Ooh. Today is actually the day we're recording. It's the first day of fall. You know, the leaves are falling. The wind is blowing. There's a spooky vibe. I feel like it's starting today, the spookiness. Um, I feel like it makes sense for this episode. Um, and also, you guys are going to be listening to this close to Halloween, so... Um, take a deep breath wherever you are, relax, you're on the subway, you're walking down the street, picking mm. out your Halloween costume. Um, My favorite time yeah, of the year and right now. Let's just, let's dive into today's case. I'm your co-host Jess. And I'm Danny. And we have our producer, editor, videographer, creator galore. <laughs> Tyler. <laughs> um, and today I'm going to be talking about the Golden State Killer. Sorry, Golden State. Yeah, Golden State Killer. He's a serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, so when I was researching this case, I had a lot of, um, I had kind of like a hard time with it because it really spooked me to the point where at night it was hard for me to fall asleep. Like I remember walking around my house, like locking the doors, make, like putting the extra little lock, um, and you'll see why as we get into it. Oh, um, okay. So on that note, uh, I just want to have a little warning that the episode will contain some like gruesome, um, explicit content. Uh, so please uh, be advised before we get into it. Okay. So the Golden State Killer goes all the way back to the 70s because we know that I love to cover serial killers from the 70s um, or like just old ass serial killers in America. Um, Joseph James D'Angelo. He's actually, this is kind of recent. He was caught in 2018 and the trial, yeah, and the trial took place from 2018 till 2020 and then he was finally incarcerated 2021. Wow. So it is pretty recent. Like he went, that is recent. He went undetected, um, for 40 years. And then when the trial took place for some of the victims, it was, like, 44 years had gone by, 45 years. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, imagine, like, living in just, like, that fear for so long. Um, But he has a couple names that he's known for um, or that, like, these crimes had... There was different things that were happening at the time. They didn't tie it all together that it was the one guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But his, like, the three main things were... He's known as the Vesalia Ransacker. Vesalia is a, a place in California. Okay. Um, I think it's north northern. I might be wrong. Um, Again, I might we're be so southern. Bad. It might be southern California. Actually, we're so bad. With I think it, no, no, no. I think it's northern. I think it's northern. Um, so the Vesalia Ransacker. He was also known as the East Area Rapist, and then finally the Golden State Killer. And then his uh, one other name he was known as was the. Um, diamond knot killer diamond knot yeah so i'll kind of talk about that a bit um a bit later um but so he was believed to be responsible for at least 13 murders over 50 rapes and and more than 100 burglaries spanning the state of california so he wasn't just in one county he went he like hopped from kind of like ted bundy he hopped from like different different counties so that's why it was kind of hard for them to then to kind of like put it together that it was it was the one guy and it was like different kinds of crimes too um so yeah he spanned it he was all over the state of california um 
And yeah, like I said, he was recently, like, the trial went down from 2018 to 2021. So I'm going to hop into a bit of the background. I'm so excited to talk about this because oh. um, I want to see your takes on it. So okay, cool. his childhood. So he technically he is Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., named after his dad, Joseph James D'Angelo. Um, he was born on November 8th, 1945 in Bath, New York. November 8th, is that um, a Scorpio? I think it's... Scorpio, yes. Sag, something like that. Scorpio or Sag. Sounds, I don't I think, think it's it might Sag be yet. Scorpio. I think it is Scorpio. I think it is a Scorpio. Um, Not that that matters, but, you know, I just want to... Maybe we'll find a pattern. It might matter. It might it matter. matter. It we, matter. We, we never know. Um, <laughs> so his dad was actually a sergeant in the United States Army, and he had two sisters, Rebecca... And Connie and a brother John and at the age of nine um, D'Angelo actually witnessed the rape of his seven-year-old sister Connie <gasps> by two airmen airmen they were described as airmen so I'm guessing like sorry pilots? let me airmen in a warehouse in West Germany that's where the family was stationed at the time so this is military men because his dad was in the army oh okay and so two airmen, which I'm guessing were just, like, they're also in the military and they, yeah. like, flew the planes and shit. Yeah. Right? Oh, my God. Isn't that fucked up? So from a young age, you see, like, these men in power do that, like, horrific thing to your sister. To your sister. family, yeah. Your younger sister. She was seven years old. Oh, that's so sad. Um, but, yeah, following, um, I'm going to, like, not fast forward, but um, when he was actually convicted... One of the sisters claimed that also when they were growing up, the father um, abused him growing up. So that might have been like, I remember we were kind of talking about this before, but like that was kind of common back then, like mm-hmm. the dad abusing mm-hmm. the kids. Um, so, yeah, one of his sisters actually mentioned that that wasn't stated like in any other place. But I guess in the trials when they caught him, that came out later on. Um, yeah. So and his mother was a Denny's waitress, like of all things. Denny's waitress um yeah uh and later I guess the parents would split up and he went with the mom to Auburn which is another place in California um and she remarried to a traveling welder Mm -hmm. so then between 1959 and 1960 he just you know he went to high school um and he spent most of his time in Sacramento um where he then got a GD certificate um, he was on the junior varsity baseball team. Um, but one thing that uh, the prosecutors re- recorded or reported that um, in his in his young years, D'Angelo uh, committed burglaries and he tortured and killed animals during his teenage years. It's like that's kind of like a, a always, pattern. Yeah, with that's a lot of a these. sign. Yeah. Um, so th- that's kind of his young, like, childhood growing up years. And then from school, he kind of, like, just went on to follow in his dad's footsteps. He actually served in the Navy during the Vietnam War for about 22 months. Um, and he came back home, like, basically, had, like, a decorated veteran. Um, and he won a bunch of medals. Um, the National Defense Service Medal, Vietnam Service Medal, and a Vietnam Campaign Medal. So he came back, like, respected vet. Um, from the war. And then in August 1968, he went to college and then he went to university. So he was like interested in like going back to school. 
um, and he got an associate degree in police science with honors, so he was pretty smart. Um, and then he went to another university where he uh, studied criminal justice, and he got a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. It's kind of like a pattern and like what he's interested in. Obviously, like he's in the he was in the army. I mean the he in the navy, and yeah. he studied like policing and then like, criminal justice. Um, and then he took other further courses in police training. At the College of Sequoas and Basilia. Okay, so College of Sequoas. That's going to come back. So just wanna College like of Sequoas. Put a little, like, asterisk beside that. Okay. Um, and then uh, he apparently completed a 32-week police internship at, uh, like, a police department in Roseville, which I don't know if that's actually, like, factual because I remember seeing, like, he apparently did it. Maybe he said he did, I like, fibbed on his resume, but, like, he didn't actually do it. Um, mm. So that might be kind of rocky on that fact, but um, basically he was described as someone who was really smart. You know, he graduated with honors from all his programs, and, you know, he continued his education, and he was just, like, seen as, like, an overall, like, smart guy. Mm-hmm. Okay? So he ended up working as a police officer in Exeter, um, which was pretty close to Visalia, like a 14 minute drive. And, and it was actually, I'm remembering, I was looking at the map. It was Northern California. Oh, I'm pretty okay. positive about that now. Cause I remember I, I looked it up. Um, and this was from 1973 to 1976. Um, and he worked as a burglary unit police officer. And then he was actually promoted to sergeant in 1976. And he was put in charge of the police department's joint attack on burglary program Mm -hmm. so clearly like you know he knows he knows everything you need to know about burglary okay he's knowledgeable he's knowledgeable um and then from there he actually moved on to another police department in auburn um and he was there from 1976 to 1979 Um, And so the first 44 rapes and the two murders were actually committed when he was working at this police department. And this is what kind of shook me. When he was at this police department, the reason why he left was actually because he was caught shoplifting a can of dog repellent and a hammer. And the chief of police, like, let him go on the spot. Even though he was stealing those things he was st- he was stealing them that's why mm-hmm. like he was like, like we're letting you go but at this time that's also when these crimes were happening and they just let him go and then a few weeks like after the police actually chief the chief of police let him go he noticed like a prowler which if you don't know a prowler is just like someone like outside your home kind of like watching you, you stalking oh, you oh my and god the, the, I hate that. the chief noticed someone like that showed up outside of his his daughter's window oh no that's so scary and he had a feeling that it might have been like d'angelo maybe he was like vengeful that you know like he let him go um but he never followed up on it that was probably him yeah yeah and so yeah so like i said he has strong background in criminal justice he knew like the way that police investigations worked and he was, like, a decorated Vietnam veteran, okay? Um, and in, in 1973, he actually was also married um, to Sharon Marie Huddle, who uh, was in law school, and she later on became an attorney, and they had three daughters together. Okay. So, like I said, when he was working at the police department, that's actually when he started committing his crimes. And I, if you remember, he was in the, he, like, was a 
um, in charge of like the burglary department at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where the Vasilia ransacker comes into play. So this was like the first crimes now known that he committed, but at the time no one knew who it was. Mm-hmm. And this was from April 1974 to December 1975. Um, and so it basically started a year after he joined the nearby police department. And um, yeah, so he was estimated to have burglarized at least 100 homes. And it's not like he did anything crazy. He would take small items that weren't really of too much value, um, just kind of like random things. And uh, what people saw commonly is that he would like scatter women's underwear like around the home. Scatter women's underwear. Yes. His home? Around the homes he broke into. Oh, so he would just go in the drawers, grab their underwear, and just like like he'd make a mess. Them. He'd make a mess of it. And like the thing that was weird is that he wasn't taking anything like really valuable. It was like so it was just like penny coins. sniffing. It was like coins and like <laughs> fucking like weird things that he would take. Um, this guy was just penny sniffing. That's what it was. <laughs> he was just penny sniffing. Ew! Uh, what a pervert. Yeah, basically. Um, Yeah, so that's what he did for a while, and obviously he's good at it because he knows how burglaries work. Like, he knows what to do so that he won't get caught, because he was, he's a police officer. Like, he knows how to do this shit. Yeah. And that's why no one ever knew who it was. Like, he just got away with so many burglaries. And, um, yeah, people in, in the Visalia were, like, freaking out because, you know, like, so many homes were being broken into. Um, like... There was a reporter at the time that was on, like, the case of, like, you know, like, locks were, like, flying off the shelves. Um, wow. Like, everyone was basically trying to, like, protect, protect their homes. And nothing too, too crazy was happening at this point. Like, it was just robberies. But, like, no, like, nothing too crazy. Like, no murders, no nothing. So, um, but it's still, like, you know, concerning that mm-hmm. the homes in your area are being broken into. Right? It's scary. Yeah. Um, and, like, it's weird that the underwear is being scattered. Like, Why? That's Penny just, sniffer. Like, fucking weird, you know? Um, so it wasn't until, like, usually he would just, you know, it was, like, petty, like, little things until um, 1975 when one home he he had been kind of, like, staking out. So the family um, that he was staking out was, like, the Snelling family. And they had noticed outside the daughter's window. Oh. They had noticed, like, someone peeping in the window a couple times and the dad had tried to chase him down the street but he always like missed him he was like you know he he had a head start he got away yeah but they had noticed someone um outside the window twice the dad noticed and then one time the daughter um elizabeth she was in her bedroom and she kind of like felt weird like someone might have been watching her and she looks because you get that feeling yeah and she looks and she sees someone looking in her fucking window Bro, I get goosebumps when I hear stories like that because it, like, houses freak me out because I constantly think that someone's going to, like, watch. Like, that's the shit that keeps me up at night that literally, like, gets me all fucked up. Not the paranormal. Yeah. Not any of that. This is the stories that literally give me the goosebumps. Yeah. This is what gives me goosebumps. And, like, guys, it's important to also know that he... Before he would break into any home, he would, like, he would stalk these people. Like, he, like, he wasn't just, like, oh, randomly, like, no. He was very, like, um, what's the word? Um, Picky? Like, Like, not picky, but he was very, uh, like, 
Hmm. the way that he would pick who he broke into like it was after a lot of like deliberation oh you know? yeah like he would make sure like okay are they not home that often like are there like easy escape routes near the home like when are they home like he would watch them right so he knew like when can i break in um what's the best time and then with this one house with the snellings um it was in 1975 that the dad was um so basically, okay, sorry. So um, it was on September 11th, mm-hmm. 1975, that he broke into the home of Claude Snelling. He was 45 years old. Um, and the the dad was actually a journalism professor at the College of Sokoas. Do you remember the College of yes. Sokoas? He actually studied there at one point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, years earlier. And so, like I said, he had, the dad had previously, like, chased someone away from the daughter's window. There was, they literally found, like, footprints outside of the daughter's window. (sighs) Ugh. Like, that's what he, he was like, oh, there's something I imagine. I'm, like, just thinking about it. It freaks me out. Like, that, imagine looking over and, like, seeing someone's face at your window. Uh, Like, I'm terrified. I'm shivering. Like, I literally, I'm sweating just thinking about it. It's moments like that where... I'd rather live in an apartment, and when I go to people's houses, I literally look, and I'm like, oh, it gives me, like, goosebumps. I hate it. It's, like, it's such a, like, gut-wrenching feeling. Yeah. When I hear about the stalking and, you know, every, all of that, oh, so, ugh, it's bizarre. That's why sometimes when I think of apartments, and especially, like, even condos that have, like, the concierge at the front, where you have to, like, scan to get in you have to have or like buzz someone to get in like you can't yeah you have to go through a couple steps and there's even like usually or some places they have like someone sitting there like a security or something like a sign in not all not all places but some do um and i feel like that would give me a lot of just like ease like i can breathe you know yeah Um, me too so anyways it was um the night of september 11th and he was awakened around 2 a.m by strange noises and later when the daughter actually ended up testifying at his trial when he was brought in and she said that um it could have been like what awakened her dad it might have been you know maybe the back door opening because he tried to kidnap the daughter um (gasps) or it could have been like her cries maybe he might have like heard something the whole time he had a gun to the daughter's head and was like if you like make a sound or like make struggle like struggle like i'm gonna shoot you um so the dad woke up because he heard something and he ran to the back door and ran through the back door and he saw like the guy in this he was in a ski mask oh my god um, with his daughter like under the carport trying to the carport is kind of like a garage but it's not like closed it's like an open just has like a roof oh okay um and like trying to kidnap his daughter and Stop. so what he so he ended up shooting the dad twice <gasps> the dad collapses and then the daughter she, when she was testifying oh my god i literally was like almost in tears like hearing her talk about it because she was oh. there dad gets shot and then she's like falls to the ground and like is like she's basically thinking like he's just gonna kill me now like he's just gonna shoot me yeah um but instead of shooting her he just like basically like kicked her in <gasps> the face and like no. just like kind of like beat her a little bit and then ran off um and so the dad um 
the dad mm. the dad passed away just from like losing so much blood oh. um but he basically saved the daughter's life yeah by like running after him and taken that like that was the same guy peering into her window like i feel like if that was my house and someone was like i noticed someone Constantly watching my daughter like me. i feel like i, I would have gone to the police or something like you know what i mean like i wouldn't have just been like oh it's just someone like no that's fucking weird yeah like I isn't guess that weird like, especially weird. when there's like like people you you know that there's someone breaking into homes in the area like you know what people really just sometimes just don't think about it i guess or maybe they're too scared to think about it and confront the issue and it's also like at the time it was a it was a different time where people used to leave their doors unlocked yeah um, it was a lot easier you know there wasn't a lot of stories yet of like serial killers i think Honestly, the 70s was, like, the rise of, like, a lot of serial killers and, you know, being caught or whatever it is. You have, like, all these other ones. Um, so maybe it just wasn't talked about yet about stranger danger. Or maybe they just thought, oh, maybe it's just some pervert. pervert. You know, yeah, you don't really I mean, think was, about it. He was kind of, like, almost like a stalker at that point because they'd seen him a couple times, like, outside the window, right? But maybe they just didn't think too much about me it's just like a guy that maybe had a just, I don't yeah know. maybe it's just a weird guy on the street but still that's weird that's it weird is. it's weird it well is. even looking back like in retrospect right like he like he was the head of burglaries yeah. so even if they did report it it's going the paperwork is going out to his desk yeah it's, he's that's gonna true. he's gonna be the one overseeing it and he's gonna be the one throwing away the reporter shredding it and not yeah. looking at it and so in one of the videos i was watching on um youtube had one of his like ex like uh, please like someone that worked with him at the department was like if he wanted to get away with these burglaries it was easy for him to just like you said like discard the papers and like throw them away because that's his department mm-hmm. you know what i mean like who the f- who's gonna get him in trouble he's the one that's overseeing it all yeah exactly wow what a power trip he's yeah. like the definition of a crooked cop yeah yeah um, and then, so that happened, um, and that was actually his first murder, unintentionally. I don't think he meant, to, like, he went in there wanting to, like, kill the dad. He yeah. wanted to kidnap the daughter, um, but that's just how it ended. Um, so that was actually his first murder, and he, he did end up getting charged with that murder um, when he when they brought him in um, in 2018. Wow. And then it was... Another, so this is also when he was still the Vasilia ransacker. There were two shootings that happened. Um, the first one that I just described, and then it was on December 12th, 1975. Um, there was a masked man that entered the backyard of a house, and this was near like the area that the ransacker had like known to like frequent. Um, and there was detectives there on stakeout basically, and they attempted to detain him. Oh. Um, and they recalled the suspect, so D'Angelo, shrieking like a woman. Shrieking like a woman. Yes, shrieking like a, a woman. He removed his mask and he, like, pretended to surrender um, after the police officer had, like, fired a warning shot. And then he ended up just, like, pretending to surrender and then he ran and, like, jumped. He tried to, like, jump the fence um, and he pulled out a revolver and he fired it at the cop Um but he, he missed. He ended up shattering, like, the cop was holding up a flashlight. But, you know, they usually, like, they'll have the flashlight yeah. beside their face. He was doing that. And he ended up shooting the flashlight. Um, but he ended up getting away. Other officers came to try and help him, but they couldn't catch him. Mm-hmm. But also, so this this cop that was, that when that situation happened, his daughter, 
again, like when the trials were happening, ended up testifying on his behalf. Um, and they were terrified. Like this family of this cop, he's like, they could know where, cause like he saw his face. Like he might, he, he didn't know if he really saw his face. He could be, he could like, identify him. Yeah, right. Fast so they were living in fear. Like she described like her dad, um, like boarding up windows and you know, they didn't want to have like, um, the screen, like their back door. They didn't want it to be like, um, one of the like glass, oh, like the sliding, sliding doors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they just, like, he went crazy with the locks, like, crazy with everything. Because they were basically living in fear that he might try and come and break into their house and, like, kill kill them because he might be able to identify him. Yeah, exactly. um, Which he, he never did, but they were just, like, again, like, this whole area was living in a constant fear of this man coming and breaking into their home. So that was 1975. And so it wasn't until 1976 that then there was this East Area Rapist. And this is where it gets, like, for me, I think this is... It's 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 crazy to see how he, like, escalates his crimes over the years. He goes from, like, you know, breaking into homes, like, messing around a little petty bit. Petty crimes. Petty and crimes. And then, you know, there's the two shootings that happen, happen in um, 1975. And then in 1976, this is when he actually starts from, like, just breaking into homes. Now he's breaking into homes and he's, like, and he's raping people. So, oh my God. basically, this is why I called the episode, um, what did I call it again? Uh, suburban Paranoia. Oh, s- the, yeah, like, yeah. Paranoia in the Suburbs. Because, like, you know, this was, he, was in, he was in the suburbs, like, causing, like, havoc, basically. They were all, like... This guy's a this, villain. Yeah, he's literally a villain, and no one could catch this man. Like, no one knew who the fuck he was. Yeah. Um, so, he was terrorizing the Sacramento area at this point. Um... And the attacks often occurred in a single-story home that was inhabited by a single woman and that was near practical escape routes. So um, maybe, like, there's, like, a a trail nearby or a park. Basically, he didn't want to be on the main street when he was exiting the home. He wanted to be able to, like, you know, hop through backyards, a trail, just so that it's, like, less likely that someone will be able to see him. Yeah. So he was very strategic about the way that he did it. Like, and you can see his like military background coming in here Mm -hmm. and his police background because he was just like staking out the homes. He would watch the woman before he ever broke into their homes. Um, And sometimes a lot of victims, they had actually like heard someone outside of their home before they actually got broken into or eventually got, you know, they got attacked. Many of them had like notice someone outside of their house so he was watching these people like he was a creep like he was a creep Mm -hmm. um but yeah so the police believe that he would conduct extensive recognizance on his targeted neighborhood so yeah looking into windows like prowling in yards um before he actually selected a home to attack and sometimes what he would do is he would actually break into the homes prior to the attack because he wanted to learn the layout um and he would even go so far as to like study family photos learn names um like i said like shoe prints were found like under windows (gasps) of the victim's homes um and he would like document details about the victims when they would be home alone um he would also go in and unload any guns that he found he would unlock (gasps) windows 
he would disable porch lights um, and he would hide shoelaces or rope in advance under, wow. under the couch cushion so that he could use them later as ties. Like he would set himself up for success basically. Like, okay, I, mean, I, I know I'm going to break into this home, right? Like, wow. I, like I know that I want to like, I know that this is my target. So now before actually attacking them, I'm going to break in. I'm going to set my shit up. I'm going to put my ties under the couch. I'm going to disable their shit. So even if they think that they can like try and chance. try and have a chance like baby no like there's no chance for you like i've been in here already like i know in your home i know what you're doing i know your routine oh that's and, like, like um that is so premeditated yeah that is one of the most premeditated cases i've probably heard yeah and it's just like you can it's just so like something a police like military person would do when you think about it it's just yeah, like the way that he that went mindset. about it was so calculated um so basically yeah so he would break into the homes and what he would do is um he had kind of like a a routine of like his typical attack he would so sorry okay let me start off he broke into single woman yeah and he would like do the gum with the flashlight um, and just, like, you know, barge in middle of the night, like, screaming, like, I'm going to kill you, blah, 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 like, tie them up. Um, this is also why he was kind of, um, one name for him at one point was the Diamond Knot Killer. Because he had a very, like, specific knot he would tie. They were, like, very intricate kind of oh. knot. Like, hard to get out of. Like, you're not going to get out of it. And he would tie it tight. Oh, my like, God. Like, victims um, in the trial describe, like, having... Um, the bruises on their um, wrists and ankles for like weeks <gasps> following oh. like he 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 wasn't playing um, and he would usually use like I said like their own shoelaces to do this um, and with every rape he got bolder and bolder and a part of this they think so eventually he started attacking couples from single woman he started attacking couples and a part of the reason why they think he might have started doing this was because on the news they described like the east area rapist as like oh you know he breaks into like he attacks like single woman um and then so he might have tried to like change up his mo his mo just to kind of like you know throw people off like oh you think i wasn't coming for you like you thought wrong um so what he would do is when he broke into like a home with the couple is he would do the same thing like gun flashlight pointed in their faces um and he would basically tightly bound the hands of his victims he would usually get the 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 girl to tie up the the guy the partner um and then he would tie her up and what he would do is he'd get he'd place like a stack of dishes oh my gosh i've heard of this but i didn't know that it was him yeah he placed a stack of dishes on top of the husband's back and he'd say like if i hear these dishes rattle even the tiniest bit i'm going to come in here and i'm gonna kill you and i'm gonna i'm gonna kill her too so that's kind of like how he did and then he would basically traumatic he would take the girl into another room um and then he would just like rape the woman repeatedly and um what i thought was really scary about this too was um when after he was like you know done like raping the woman he would actually hang out in the home for like an hour sometimes he just like chill walk around like raid the cupboards eat make himself a sandwich like chill a little bit and and before like he'd be so quiet where like they wouldn't even know if he left or not 
they'd be just like there they don't know if he's still in the house or not like because they can't hear him they don't know what he's doing then he'd pop out of the dark and be like huh like my god this guy's like a villain this is like a villain like how the way that i saw was like he's literally playing a game with these people because he knows he's in he has the power and he's literally playing with them like he's the cat and they're his fucking mice yeah and he's just like being quiet in the home he's chilling he's like no, like, I'm still here, but you don't know I'm here. So they have no idea what's going on. And even when he would finally leave the home, he'd just do it so stealthily that, like, they didn't even know if he was gone or not. Oh, my goodness. So they were just there, like, just, like, still in fear of, like, is he still in the home? Did he leave? Like, they didn't know what was going on. And that was, I think, a part of, like, the game for him. For sure. That was, like, a huge power trip. Did is there any report of like how the couples when they when he left how they unfreed themselves was it like a family member that came and noticed like I think is there any if, info about that Well so he would basically when he raped the woman he would untie um their like ankles Oh okay. um and so they might have been able to like them once he's gone like you know get get their way out and then they can go and get the husband out um, but I didn't actually, like, there wasn't any um, thing of, like, oh, someone coming and finding them or something. I think they just ended up, like, in the morning, like, they realized he was gone. And then that's when they would, like... When they would feel safe enough. Feel to... safe enough to, like, okay, now the husband can get up, like, fucking, you know, and they can get themselves out of that situation. Um, wow. Yeah. But I wanted to say, uh, talk about one of the victims that was actually at the trial. And she kind of, like, basically when the trial was happening... A bunch of the victims came and, like, told their story to him. Like, could talk to him and be like, look what, do you remember, like, what you did to me? And, like, basically he had to face a bunch of his victims. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of them, uh, Joanne Miao, she made a statement at his trial. Um, He assaulted her and her husband in December, on December 3rd, 1978. And she basically describes him, like, barging in, the flashlight, blinding them. Um, with like he would br- he would go into the kitchen and like rip like towels apart and use that to gag them and and oh. uh, blind them, mm-hmm. um, and you know he would come in and he would scream like in the bedroom he'd be like pounding on the bed and he'd be like all I want is your fucking money like, um, and then he'd like basically get the the shoelaces and tie them up and um, tie their hands and their feet like I was describing before. And she's the one who actually described it as, like, the bruises remaining for many weeks afterwards when he would tie them up. And then she said, so this is actually a quote from her. Um, She was like, do you remember untying my feet and dragging me to the family room? Do you remember raping me? Do you remember holding a knife to my throat as you stuck your disgusting penis in my mouth? (gasps) What I really wanted to do was bite your penis off. (gasps) off your body but my hands were tied behind my back blindfolded with your knife at my throat this was a quote from her in in the trial like telling this to him um yeah i literally don't even know what to say right now um and during this like east area rapist time there was a case um and this was his 37th attack and they discovered this a decade later but d'angelo was raping someone and he and he would say when he was raping her he'd be like i hate you bonnie 
Who is that? Is that yeah, his so mom? It's like, so it's like, who's Bonnie? Is that his mom or his ex? Usually it's like a mom issue, right? When I so, find these serial killers. So Bonnie, and this is actually like, also fucked up. Bonnie is actually D'Angelo's ex-fiance. From years before he became the East Area Rapist, she oh. was um, 18 years old at the time in college. She was a college student um, when she dated him. And when she was 19 is when she ended things. So they dated for like a year. And when they later interview- interviewed her, when, you know, he got caught, um, she said, you know, as I continued with him and began, this is a quote, and began to realize that basically I was in an abusive relationship and he was pushing me into fear and discomfort over and over again. That wasn't how I wanted my future to be. This is another quote. I am 100% certain that the engagement ring he gave to me belonged to somebody else. Mm. And so in their last encounter when basically he proposed, he wanted Bonnie to marry him and she... You know, he was demanding to her, like, you're going to marry me and pointing a gun to her head. What the? Yeah. He pointed a gun to her head and was like, you're going to marry me. And she was like, no. This girl literally said no. Like, gun to her head. She did not give a fuck. She was like, I'm not marrying you. And I don't think she didn't realize that, you know, he actually was capable of using the gun until, like, you know, he got caught for everything that he did. But I don't think she realized how bad of a man he actually was. She noticed things, but um, it wasn't until later on that she was like, oh, fuck. Like, I didn't know, I didn't realize when he was pointing that gun to my head, like, he was actually capable of using it. So she kind of, like, just, like, escaped. So, like, near, what is it, like, a near escape? Like, it was almost like she just could have been stuck in that situation with him. Um... But yeah, so that's who Bonnie was. And just even like years later as he was committing these crimes and he was raping people, he would say like, I hate you, Bonnie. Like how fucking creepy. This is, I don't even know. Like he ha- he clearly has issues. Yeah, for obviously, right? But this I'm like, I don't know why so he hated deep. her so much. Like they only dated for a year. They only dated for a Maybe year. Maybe because she rejected him. It's the rejection that was very powerful. And it seems like, the rejection, he lost power. He could have felt demasculated. Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then now it his fucked up way of coping is gaining power over a woman and then saying those words like, fuck you, Bonnie, fuck you, Bonnie. Yeah, I hate literally you. repeating it over and over yeah, again. Yeah, it's that trying to gain power again. That's what it is. Because someone rejected him. Yeah. Um... But yeah, so he continued to commit these rapes, um, 50 rapes, approximately, um, to initially to single women, then to couples, and he would do the same thing over and over again. No one was able to catch him. They had sketches of him, um, from, you know, the people that he attacked, but they were never actually able to, to find him, um... And that's when I kind of go back to the thing that happened with the, his first police job when he was stealing the the dog repellent and the hammer. Because mm. I'm like, shouldn't that have been a sign for you guys? Like, that's kind of weird. It, like, that is, like, weird. And then when he shows up outside of the chief of police house and he's, like, outside the daughter's window and you don't do anything while all these crimes are happening, like, just 14 minutes from the police department... Yeah, exactly. I think that might have honestly been one of the 
biggest like mishaps in the whole thing and that maybe could have like they could have caught him yeah was in that moment when he got because he did get caught stealing those items um but anyways they didn't catch him and so he continued to do what he did and again like he would leave the victims uncertain if he had even left the house and then he would escape on foot through like a series of yards and then he would use a bicycle to go to like a car his car um but he made like extensive use of parks schoolyards creek beds any open space that kept him off the street Mm -hmm. so again he was just like very strategic had a path everything just he had a plan yeah um i wanted to go through uh, a couple of the victims um that basically you can find this on youtube if if you wanted to hear the stories but these were some of the rape victims um and I think one of his youngest victims was no. 13 years old. No. Yeah. This was in 1977. She had actually, um, she was obsessed with the case. So when he, she was following the case, she knew like what his like kind of like MO was. Yeah, 13. She wow. was following the case. She knew what he would do. Like she knew everything. Um, and so when he basically showed up at her house, she knew exactly what was going to happen what was going to happen and she described him as getting off on power and control through fear the fear in his victims is how he got pleasure this is a very smart 13 year old yeah to even say and throughout the attack she had just continued saying like no the whole time wow and um her name was margaret wadlow and she was his youngest victim Um, And then one of the other ones that I thought was also, like, just the way that he did it was so strategic was Jane Carson Sandler. She was his uh, fifth rape victim. Um, And this, again, was, like, eastern suburbs of Sacramento. It was 1976, 6.30 a.m. in the morning, and her husband had literally just left for work. Wow. Just left for work. And he broke in. Her three-year-old son had came to her room to, like, cuddle with her. Mm. And within two minutes of um, the husband leaving, she heard, like, running down the hallway. And she <gasps> saw, like, a bright flashlight coming towards her. And then she didn't even really have, like, time to react. By the time she looked up, she just saw, like, a man with a ski mask holding a butcher's knife. Oh, my gosh. And she had, like... You can also watch her talking to him, like, in the trial on YouTube. But um, he basically had tied up the, like, her three-year-old son, his hands, his ankles, and his um, wrists with the shoelaces again. um, And he gagged and blindfolded them. um, And she had described him kind of, like, contemplating for a bit. Like, he was standing there kind of, like, pacing. Like, she was like, what is he pacing? But, like, what is he going to do? Like, not knowing... um, what was going to happen next uh-huh. until he finally untied her ankles and that's when she was like described as okay i knew what he was going to do once he untied her ankles she'd be like yeah he's gonna like he's gonna rape me yeah um and again like spent more than an hour in the house like drank a couple beers like cooked himself a meal before he left just like the timing of it too like right when the husband left wait I'm just taking in. He's touching everything, drinking stuff. Like, did he just leave his garbage and stuff? He left a lot of DNA. He did leave DNA. And but his he DNA... Didn't leave, he didn't leave fingerprints, and that's what matters. Because mm. at the time, they hadn't actually ever solved the case using DNA. They they did 
They didn't they have can, the technology for that yet. Okay, yeah, they yeah, could use sense. fingerprints, but he wore gloves, so he never left any fingerprints. And he was actually pretty, like, smart. He wouldn't really leave, like, anything that maybe could have been left behind, he would take with him. Like, he was very, um, again, like, just calculating the way he did things. Like, he, yeah. was, very, he was very careful. Um... So in that so at the time the 70s investigation it was Carol Daly who led she was like the lead investigator um and they had the idea that their suspect their suspect um might have military or a police background because of the way that he operated um and he had made sure like no one would know who he was so they had kind of like the inkling back in the 70s but they, they never really, like, tied it all together at the time. Mm-hmm. They had an inkling. Yeah. Um, so, I want to get into now, like, when he first started killing people. Oh, my god. Or, gosh. like, first started his murders. Because right now, he's just, like, he's been it's breaking. It's just into, raping and breaking. In. Yeah, he's been breaking into homes. He's been, like, yeah, like, rape you know, raised, but he hasn't have actually had any victims yet. Okay. Like, well, not victims. Sorry, I mean, like, any murders yet. Yeah. Um, And this is also another name for him was the original Night Stalker. Oh, okay. Because now, you know, Richard Ramirez is, like, the Night Stalker, but they like to call him the original Night the Stalker because he would break into homes in the middle of the night. Yeah, that was his M.O. That was his M.O. Um, So it's when he had actually moved to Southern California um, that he began killing his victims, and he first striked in Santa Barbara County in October. Um, and so his attacks, like, his killings had lasted from until 1981, and then he had, like, one random, like, lone attack in 1986. Okay. So his first one was in 1979. He broke in, like, same thing. He tied up the couple... Um, and they heard him, like, say to himself, like, in a low voice, like, uh-huh. I'll kill him to himself. Oh, my God. He's so weird. Yeah. Like, really weird. And That's this is so going to make sense later on when I bring up some other stuff. But okay. kind of, like, weird. Um, this was actually... So, there was one, only one couple that ever sur- survived him his break-in. And this is this is that couple that he was like, oh, I'll kill them. Um and the alarm had gone off, and so that's when he realized, and he fled on a bicycle. He did that often. He would, like, flee on, like, a stolen bicycle. Yeah. Um, but, so that was the first couple that he attacked, but they, you know, didn't end up killing them. Um, and then it was on December 30th when he killed um, Robert Offerman, uh, 44 years old, and 35-year-old Deborah Manning. And they were just, they were found shot to death. Usually what he would do is he'd either shoot people or he would strangle them. Or sorry, not strangle them, beat them to death. Oh, no. With like something. Beat them to death. It could have been like with a garden tool, like oh, anything. Oh my God. Um, and when they found them, they actually noticed that the husband, um, his bindings were untied. So they had, you know, thought maybe he had lunged at the attacker and tried to like, I don't know, pr- protect yeah the wife um and the neighbors actually heard gunshots but because it was so close to christmas it was on december 30th they thought that maybe it could have been like holiday firecrackers bro yeah 
And so the neighbors didn't actually do anything. And oh that also God. is like what pisses me off so much is I feel like neighbors always notice shit and they don't do anything about it. They don't. Like, how do you must? I guess, oh, okay, I guess you can maybe like firecrackers and gunshots. Like, yes, it could sound similar, but like, like New Year's Eve or something. But, but it's like, just Jesus. like. You know the difference. If you don't even see fireworks outside of your home, maybe it's a time to be like, hmm, I don't know. And I feel like just um, the way that gunshots go off, I feel like it's like a bam, bam. Whereas a fire firework, I don't know, I think it's a little bit different, but I guess, yeah, they paid no mind. So I just feel like there's so many instances in this case where, like, someone could have said something or done something and they just didn't. Yeah, um, for sure. And then in 1980, um, it was March 13th, 33-year-old Charlene Smith and a 43-year-old Lyman Smith were found murdered in their Ventura home. So again, he he switched counties. So it was like Santa Barbara, and now he's in Ventura. So he, again, just smart the way that he did things. Um, And basically he would, again, rape the wife. His MO stayed the same. He would still, like, rape the wife, tie them up, rape the wife, but now he just started killing them. Again, either gunshot or um, by, like, beating them to death. And this is when they kind of noticed the, like, unusual, like, the knot, the knot that he did um, on the wrists. And so that's that was actually when it was noted in the East Area Rapist attacks. Um, that's how they kind of tied it was, okay, East Area Rapist used this kind of knot. Then when they noticed this also, like, similar knot on the victims of, like... Other counties. Other counties that now these people are, like, being killed. They're like, uh uh-huh. Like, maybe there is, like... Maybe this has some connection. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of, like, put that together. Um, and so for a brief, like, amount of time, they gave him the name, like, the Diamond Knot Killer. That makes sense, yeah. Um, there's a, there's a lot of these. Basically, it was, his, most of his murders were between 1980, 1981. So, I have one other one I wanted to talk about where, basically, he, like, bludgeoned to death this couple. Um. My goodness. And it was in, like, a gated community, too. Um. And so I'm just like, bro, this man just does not give a fuck. Like, he's just going all over the place. I he's think like, he's just testing yeah, to see how literally. far he can go. Exactly. Um, but yeah, never, like, no murder weapon was ever found. Um, no ligatures were found at the scene. So he was very, like, clean the way that he did it. Um, and this one couple that he had killed, they were married for three months at the time of their death. Um and they were both, like, medical students and, like, a nurse. Um, and the brother of this one couple, he actually spent, like, $2 million supporting um, it was, like, a California proposition um, authorizing DNA collection from all California felons. Yeah. So that's going to actually... So this is why I, like, mention that because um, just, like, the way that they end up kind of solving this case. Hint, hint. Um mm-hmm. So he goes on to, like, again, he had 12 victims. I'll talk about his last victim in 1986. Um, It was Janelle Cruz. And same thing, raved bludgeoned to death in her home. 
Um, her family was on vacation in Mexico at the time of the attack, and um, a pipe wrench was reported to be missing by um, the stepfather, so they thought that might have been the murder weapon. Um, and so the, the, the investigators, at, when they were looking into the crimes, um, I thought this was interesting, was that his last murder was 1986, and in 1986 is actually when they solved um, one of the first murders using, like, DNA evidence. And so oh. they thought that maybe he might have been following the news and he and he knew that, like, okay, I'm leaving my DNA all over California. And if I keep doing what I'm doing, he's going to get caught. I'm going to get caught. And that was his last murder ever. And then after that, he kind of went, like, MIA. Yeah, he just, like, after he lived, like, a normal life um, and was just kind of, like, hiding out in the suburbs. Yeah. Just living regularly. And that's when he stopped doing what he was doing. Um, But during the time that he was committing the, like, East Area Rapist crimes, he would actually, after he attacked someone, he he would call his victims afterwards a lot (gasps) of the time, like, phone them. No. Um, And it's really creepy, like the things he would say on the phone no so i want to play one of the recordings no um so hold on a second first let me just read it which one was it um oh my gosh i am not ready to hear this phone call okay this was on january 2nd 1978 so the first um known rape victim received a wrong number call asking for Ray, okay? And then um, later on in the day, she got another call. um, And so this is the call I'm going to play for you. So basically, he initially called, like, asking for Ray. He knew what he was doing. And then he called, and then he called back. And this time, this is what he said. Oh, shit, the video's gone. Hold on, I can find it. <gasps> oh, it's just him breathing. <gasps> they added some music over the video, but just... What the fuck? Basically, he says, like, he's like, bitch. Oh, my God. And then he's like, God. bitch. And then he's like, you fucking whore at the end of the video. That's I mean, honestly, at the, at the, the end scariest, of the phone call. That's the scariest thing. That's the shit that you see in horror movies, bro. This is why I'm telling you, like, this man was playing games with his victims. Because mm-hmm. he wouldn't just rape them. And, like, even the way that he would not, like, make it known he left the house. And people literally described him as, like, popping out of the darkness. Bro. And then he would leave the house silently. So left them wondering. And not only that, he would call them afterwards and, like, say weird shit like that on the phone to them. Like, he wanted to terrorize them. He didn't want them to live in peace. Like, he wanted them to live in fear that he might come back for them and he might come and kill them the next time. Jeez. And he did more of these calls, too. Like, he... 
Um, he called the county sheriff's office. Uh, they received three calls from a man claiming to be the East Area Rapist. None of them were recorded, but the first two calls, they were received at 4.15 and 4.30 p.m. Um, they were identical, and they ended with the caller laughing and hanging up. And then the final call came at 5 o'clock p.m., and the caller, would, the caller said, I'm the East Side Rapist, and I have my next victim already stalked, and you guys can't catch me. My goodness. And I heard that's another thing with, like, serial killers. Sometimes they just want to be known, right? Like, they want the police to... It's For them, they want that chase from the police of, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and he would call them the the department again another time, and he said to them, like, you're never going to catch me, East Area Rapist, you dumb fuckers. I'm going to fuck again tonight. Be careful. Actual, like... Like, this is a villain. Yeah. He literally... He's an actual villain terrorizing the states. Yeah, that's why he was literally causing paranoia in the suburbs. Literally mm-hmm. paranoia. People were, like, shitting their pants. Like, the sh- like I said, like, department stores, like, um, any any store that sold locks, like, locks were sold out. There were no locks left to buy. Mm-hmm. He also on, I think it was on Christmas, on Christmas, um, or like coming up to Christmas on December 9th, 1977, he called a previous victim, um, saying, Merry Christmas, it's me again. <gasps> like literally terrorizing people. Bro. And then there was a call, like the one that I let you guys listen to. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of like his story so he went from the burglaries to the rape the phone calls the killing um and then he went silent and it wasn't until um basically how they caught him was they never stopped looking for him um but one of the critical detectives on the case um was paul holes and he spent more than 20 years investigating um this like the crime he spent more than 20 years investigating crimes in california sorry Mm -hmm. in california and he he played a really critical role in identifying joseph james d'angelo so in a i was watching a youtube video they actually interviewed the detective um and basically the way that they solved this case was using dna Mm -hmm. and so at the time this was like whoa like really like there weren't many cases that like solved using dna um the way that they did it they actually uploaded um dna to GEDmatch, which is kind of like you know ancestry like you know how like any regular person yeah, can like upload 23 their... and me and like, yeah exactly yeah. exactly um so they uploaded um the dna to GEDmatch, and they found like a lot of hits that came back were like third cousins um and the top hit shared one percent of dna and just from that, like, one that hit those hits that they got, they were basically able to build out a family tree using, like, public records, like, newspapers, obituaries, like, findagrave.com, like, just whatever they could to, like, put this ancestry, like, tree together. And it had over a thousand individuals on this tree. Um, but because they knew so much about, who, like, their suspect, you know, that he's, like, a white male. Um, born between like 1940 and 1960 um, yeah. is like five eight 
five eight to five ten. They were able to like break it down, um, and so they narrowed it down to five people. And then from there, it was just like basically investigative work, um, and they kind of like looked into each of the five people. Mm-hmm. And the way that they actually got him was that they like picked a um, trash. like tissue out of his trash, and that's how they were able to literally like match the DNA from that like tissue and it was also like a door handle that he used i guess they like they were following him yeah. that's why it's kind of controversial the way that they found him like bitch if you're finding someone that killed and raped and like doesn't matter into a bunch of homes i don't care how the fuck you found him doesn't or what you matter. had to do if you had to stalk him i don't give a fuck like they basically like got his dna from like stalking him and like going through his garbage um and they were able to like 100 percent like match the dna um and that's how they were able to charge him um, and so on April 24th, 2018, um, they arrested D'Angelo um, and they charged him with eight counts of first degree murder. And then on May 10th, um, the Santa Barbara County District, um, they add another four additional counts of first degree murder. Um, and he confessed to the crimes. Um, but after his arrest, um, he had like referred to an inner personality named Jerry who forced him to commit the wave of crimes um, that ended abruptly in 1986. Wait, what do you mean? He, wait, what? He basically said that he had, there was, like, he referred to, like, this person, Jerry, and, like, Jerry, like, Jerry, like, made me do it. Is he saying, like, a demon possessed him or something? Actually, you know, know what? Not a demon, Those but, Those like, types of people do have demons. I know we're getting to the paranormal. Yeah, different type of demons. No, this is, like, to me, actually, I'm not even going to get into it. Never mind. <laughs> I don't know if it... You're talking about, like, disassociative uh, disorders? Maybe, like, like um, multiple personality. personality yeah. Maybe. I mean, that's what he... That's a demon, bro. Could have been. That's and a then demon. in April of 2018, he also said, like, this is a quote from him. I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He went with me. It was, like, in my head. I mean, he's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out. And had a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I have to. Go- so now I've got to pay the price. Wow. Oh so did they ever God. diagnose him with any like? Nope. There was not any diagnose. No diagnosis. He didn't try to do like a no. psych ward no. type. He put. He pled guilty. Um, and oh. he pled guilty to a couple more like rapes because um and murders because. Some of them, I think there was, like, um, like, uh, what was it called? Something, like, had a, the way that the U.S. works, if it's, like, with past, like, a certain year, they can't actually, like, charge you, um, with it. Um, Am I forgetting what it's called now? Statute of Limitations. The Statute of Limitations had, like, expired. I wrote that somewhere here. Um, but he basically, to avoid the death penalty, he had, like, pled guilty and, like, um, they charged him with like life, no parole, like yeah. you know, he's like he's like gone forever. Yeah. Um Yeah, he pled guilty to thirteen counts of first degree murder, um, including the murder committed during the burglaries. Um and yeah, so they finally caught him and the trial was just like a whole thing. You can watch the YouTube videos of like his victims rape victims like coming in and like talking about like what he did um and it was really just like it was chilling honestly to like watch some of the videos and like some of the the woman that came in and testified um i don't know if i would be able to do that like 
seeing the person that caused you like so much pain and like those people like they live they talk about how they lived in constant fear because they no one ever caught him right for like 40 over 40 years of just like and the way that he would even like call victims after and like terrorize to terrorize them like they just lived in fear um and they talk about how like he ruined a lot of he like he basically like ruined ruined their life but then a lot of victims was always like you think you you think you got me but you didn't and i went on to live you know i lived my life and now you're gonna be stuck in jail um mm-hmm. but yeah what like really just creeped me out about him was the way that he broke into homes and like i just thought about like that's what freaked me out and like i couldn't sleep at night because i was like if someone really wanted to break into your home like, I feel like they could. They could, yeah. If you don't, even if you have an alarm system, I feel like if they're very stealthy about it um, and they know what they're doing, like, they can disable your alarm, like, yep. the power is out and yep. they can just, like, break in. And, like, they're watching you too, so they know, like, what you're doing. And I feel like in today's, like, day and age, um, it's harder to do these kind of things because, like, there's cameras everywhere. I think people are a little bit more um, cautious than they were in, like, the 70s and 80s. Yes, for sure. Um, So people aren't aren't as easy prey as they used to be. But literally just, like, I was so scared because I'm, like, I at night, because I would usually do my work at night for the podcast. And so I'd, like, finish and, like, my house is quiet. I'm just, like, I'm checking the doors. I'm putting the extra locks on the doors. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, no. So with this case... I remember when he got caught. Yeah. I have heard of this story, but... Um, it was a huge thing when he got caught. Like, people were like, yes. holy fuck. Like, so, this, I remember when he got caught, because this was my first year of university. You said 2018, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was my first year of university. And at the time, um, I used to listen to a lot of true crime podcasts and stuff like that. And there was this one podcast that um, they finally talked about him. And because it's honestly now been so many years, I don't really remember until, you know, you just refreshed some memory. And I remember just sitting there before my 8 a.m. lecture and just being creeped out. And I remember hearing about, you know, like the dishes. I honestly thought that was more Richard Ramirez. I got them confused. Mm-hmm. I remember that part. Well, because they're and, kind of similar, right? That's why they call him the yeah. original Night Stalker. But he's literally a boogeyman, like attacking you in the night, like that's yeah. my but that's literally my biggest fear is like someone breaking into my house in the middle of the night and like what the fuck like how this is the reason why i think the way I think. i'm like how would i protect myself in this scenario i don't know like what the fuck are you doing in this scenario right and and i remember also like hearing okay even with the dna thing i remember how that was like groundbreaking. Yeah, it was groundbreaking. And after they did that in this case, um, that same year, so many other um, counties like started to do the same thing that they they like, did. Like and anything, that's a, so many murderers put, were being caught yeah. using that same method. Like it was crazy. Like twenty three and Me, like Ancestry, like all those things. Like yeah, your DNA is put, and it was literally like because what like of a third cousin that yeah. he was related to. And you know, you have like over like a hundred like so you have so many third cousins so like it's likely that one of them probably like put their fucking dna on one of these sites and from that like small piece of information they can they can find they like, just the, open they can up find a connection yeah like it's like a can of worms they just open up for all these possibilities and that's literally how he got caught i remember he was like much like he was a basically like an old guy right when they he caught was, him he was 74 years old yeah 
Like, imagine thinking that you're so... I mean, there's a lot of people in their 70s that still live longer, but he really probably thought that he was going to be on his deathbed never being caught. I would assume so. Did this guy have a family or anything like that? Yeah, when he, he had was, daughters, when he right? was caught, yeah, he had daughters. When he was um, caught, he was living with his granddaughter. Oh, and one My thing I forgot goodness. to mention, and this is also what I found very, very sus, was that his daughter, hold on a minute, um, his daughter, first of all, his neighbors called him Crazy Joe because he was just like, he would sometimes be like yelling outside to himself. Oh my goodness. Like weird. And one time the dog, the next door neighbor's dog was barking and he called and he said, if you don't shut your dog up, I'm going to like, like rain death upon your home or something what like that. The... Yeah. Um, but his daughter described him as like the perfect dad. And his wife was like, oh yeah. Like when he, cause at the time that he was committing these crimes, he lived with his family, his wife and his kids. And the wife was like, oh, yeah, like, didn't see anything we're having. Like, you know, she believed him wherever he said he was going in the night. She believed him. And I'm like, you're such a fucking liar. Like, there's no way you believed him. He's disappearing in the night. And you're like, oh, yeah, normal. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Either you're fucking stupid or you were in on it. Or, like, you knew and you just didn't say anything. Or you had an inkling and you didn't say anything. Because I'm like, as a wife... You're living with the person. I'm like, you must know something. She is probably going thought on. she probably thought he was having an affair. She probably not once in her head thought that like he was out committing crimes, heinous also, crimes. Think of his ex Bonnie, who dated. She was 18. She dated him for a year, and she was already saying like he was not a good guy. Like he was basically pushing her and like making her very uncomfortable in the year that they dated. And you're telling me his wife like maybe didn't experience any of that with him. I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know, something about that was fishy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, the fact that you also have three daughters and you're literally going out and raping women. This guy doesn't see women as people, bro. He he was on a power trip. That was the only way for him to, like, feel powerful is when he was in those situations and he can, like, have the knife to someone's throat and be like, you can't do anything. I literally have you tied up, my knife to your throat, like... What are you going to do? And now, and then I'm going to ha- keep you tied up. I'm going to chill in your house and eat your, sh- eat your fucking food. Oh, my God. And you're not even going to know when I'm out of here. Like, I'm going to pop out and scare you literally like a boogeyman. And that was so terrifying to me, too. It's like the way that he did it was just like, you are so scary. He actually apologized in court, too. He apologized? He said, you know, like that he's truly sorry for like all of the people that he hurt. Yeah, Okay yeah and i'm like do you believe the jerry thing that he had this like someone in his head like um he could have was just he probably also, was just saying that to he's try like ex-military he was in the war like i feel like that must so, like, have ptsd some, some sort of potentially that could have honestly potentially like, that could be really just to see if he can be on like the psych ward so as an easier sentencing doesn't have to go to prison because a lot of criminals try to do that they try to play up that they're um they have a like, problem. Yeah, like they're clinically illness. insane and stuff like that. Um, but it doesn't, you know, people obviously, the, the testing and stuff like that, um, they see right through them if they're trying to fake it, um, trying to play the insane card. Um, a few criminals have done that. So he, he, he might have been just playing it up, honestly. 
I mean, he could have been, but he also didn't try and, like, plead, like, insanity or anything like that. Oh, so, so in the court case, he doesn't plead insanity at no, all? No, no, he didn't. They just, like, he had made those statements, but he just, like, he pled guilty. Oh, he just took it? He took it. Oh, wow. But, yeah, they talk about, like, the way that they found, they found him for over 40 years. No one, he evaded, like, being captured. Within four months, a team of six people... That ended up using, like, the DNA, um, were able to find him. Like, take that in. And that's why so many murderers during that time got away with um, what they were doing was because I think nowadays with, like, the way that forensics have are just so developed um, mm-hmm. and, like, you know, we're not only relying on, like, fingerprints now. Like, the, we just, there's so many more ways for you to get caught. Like, like I said, there's also cameras everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um it's not as easy as it used to be and it's just like especially the forensic like the de- forensic development is crazy like if you want to go watch a video on how they did this shit like it was insane like yeah. they take you into the lab and they show you like how they do it the way they do it was just like i can't even process like it was just so like i i honestly had no idea what the fuck they were doing and i was just like mm-hmm. that's just really cool that you could do that <laughs> like mm-hmm. um but they literally would take like a fucking like nano of dna like tiny 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 amount of dna nano. and they could use that to like to find you and upload that to the jed match and then literally that's how they found him that's so impressive yeah don't, don't you uh, have a friend who's studying? tatiana yeah oh yeah shout out tatiana we yeah. have to have her on the podcast one time we'll have she a conversation would be able to... with her about the forensics yeah she, she would be, i think she'd be able to like speak to speak to this for sure no she definitely would she definitely would but yeah so he's in jail now um i'm gonna be in jail forever he's in california state prison as of february 2021 oh my god under protective custody yeah, so that's the <sighs> that's the case. Literally gave me goosebumps because I was just like, I've always, as a kid, just been, ter- my biggest fear was like someone coming into my home and killing me. Like an intruder, like, yeah. Yeah, because it's like, in your home, that's where you feel the most safe. And to someone coming in and, and doing that, it's just like, you feel so violated in your own home. Bro, yeah, I used to have nightmares of that too. But it's like, that's... how do you how do you live on after that happens? Yeah. Like, I would be so scared to just be at home. Like, I wouldn't know what to do with myself. I'd live in like after after someone breaking into your home, I literally would just be like, mm-hmm. I used couldn't, to. Watch, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Literally. I used to watch this show on Discovery Channel about like ways to survive different um, occasions. I think it was called like Natural Disaster or something. And there's one episode where it's like a home invasion. I remember watching that when I was ten, and I was like freaked out and i'm like what like and like they're talking about how to escape like um it's like uh you know those zip lock uh ties like how to escape that and like all these things and i remember just like crying and being like so scared and like that gave me like nightmares and i was like a kid so i don't know why i was watching that but still (laughs) honestly it's crazy what a shoelace can do if you were if you have like your shoes and you're ever like tied up you can use your shoelaces um, yeah. to, like, get out of that kind of situation. I saw a TikTok the other day. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's actually crazy what you could do with a shoelace. Mm-hmm. Like, this man literally did fucking diamond knots with a sh- with their own shoelaces. Oh, goodness. Um, but, yeah, so that's the Golden State Killer. Kind of, like, there's so much more, I think, that you can look into if you wanted to with... Um, with this case, if you want to read, like, every single murder and, like, what he did and, like, 
just see the the trials like you can definitely like look into that stuff um but his mo stayed very consistent so yeah this is impressive my mm-hmm. my jaw was dropped the entire time same it was it was i didn't have a scary. lot to say because just every step of the way he was constantly just on his ball a menace and he just, and he just and kept upping menace. it he kept upping his stuff too like the way that he just escalated so quickly Mm. Um, but yeah, so thank you guys for listening to this episode of Scare Topless. Again, be sure to follow us on IG and TikTok at Scare Topless. Um, let us know what kind of episodes you want us to do. If you like these kind of episodes, if you want us to do more serial killers, um, just DM us and, or send us an email, whatever. Um, and until then, we, we are your hosts. hosts. And we'll see you next time.